Galatians chapter 5 is where we are in our series in the book of Galatians. Uh, the series is called For Freedom. And we are, we are in our like theme verse today. Galatians 5, 1 and following uh, is where we are today. So our passage, uh, Galatians, um, oh, let me turn this on, sorry. Uh, Galatians 5, 1 to 15 is the passage today. So let's go ahead and turn there, and then we'll get to those verses here in just a few moments. Let me, um, let me invite you into a social media conversation that I uh, saw a few years ago, actually. Not a social media conversation that I had, but just a social media conversation that I witnessed. And we're just going to have some dialogue about this together to kind of prime the pump for where we're going to be today. So here, here was a social media post. Someone puts out there in social media land, I can't find or land a job. It's a real life circumstance. Um, a lot of us in this room have been there before. I can't find or land a job. I feel like I've hit a dead end and I don't know where to turn. God, where are you? I'm not going to ask you to show a hands here, but I think the vast majority of us in the room, if I said, how many of us have been there before? A circumstance in life is happening and in, and in our space of questioning, wondering, um, fear, whatever it may be, we say, God, where are you? I think it's the majority of us in the room. And so I look at this social media post and I go, this is an honest, vulnerable reflection about where this person is in their life. Would you guys agree with that? An honest, vulnerable reflection. And here was a comment on the post. So a comment on the post was this. This is a test to lead you closer and closer to him and to make sure that you are fully searching after him. So an honest kind of vulnerable reflection gets this response to which I would say the response is a pretty religious response, a pretty kind of manipulating response to get you to do something better, harder in your life because if you search harder and more fully, then, then God will do something for you. So I, this ruffles my feathers. Uh, this is Christianese. This is religiosity. This is things that Paul would not be down with. And so here's the question that I want you to consider in this response. What is the belief system of the spiritual advisor? So throughout the series, this is week 10 in the book of Galatians. Throughout the series, Paul has been working, hear this, very hard to help the, the, the Christian people, the people in churches in Galatian, to understand that there are two very different systems that, are, that are, are different. And one is a law system of old covenant law, and one is the grace system, new covenant grace in Jesus. He's been working very hard to help us understand the difference. The, the response of the advisor was a law belief system. And here it is, if you prove worthy of a fully committed search for God, he will bless you. Do you guys see that in the comment? 
That is a law-based system way of thinking about my life, God, life with God. You guys, you guys understand what I'm saying here? Here's what I think Paul might say to the advisor in social media land. If Paul was like scrolling and he saw this, he might like, oh, snap. He might, you know, Lindsay is funny. She, our kids tease her because when she's on her phone, she like, dee, 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 dee. she's like a finger. Most people are like this. Any one finger texters in the room? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Our kids, will tease, our kids will tease you too if they see you doing it. Anyway, here's what I think Paul would respond. Let's go back to the first message of Galatians 1. Perhaps Paul might say this to the law-based spiritual advice, to an honest reflection. He might say, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting, deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul might respond that way. If that feels too, whoa, that is, I'm not sure that it would quite be that serious. Perhaps Galatians 3 would be his response. Oh, foolish social media poster, responder, spiritual advisor person. Who has tricked you? All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What's the work of the law? The work of the law in the common is to make sure that you are fully searching after him. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. The righteous, the righteous will live by, tell me, faith. The righteous live by faith. Or he might say what we're going to see today in our passage in Galatians 5. This phrase where Paul says, you have fallen away from grace. He might say that. I'm not sure how Paul would respond, but I think honestly, all three of those could be honest responses from Paul. Let me give you an uh, overview of where we've been and where we're going today as we think about that question. We have spent 10 weeks in Galatians 1 through 4. And in these chapters, Paul is building a case, literally building a case, a theological case foundation for what freedom in Christ really is. And it is to be separated from the old covenant of law. And he has spent a lot of time and a lot of energy building this case for the Galatian churches and for us. The problem of the Galatian churches and the problem today is legalism. And Paul spends a lot of time in Galatians 1 through 4 talking about the problem of legalism. And then he spends a lot of time talking about the solution to legalism. And the solution to legalism is the way of Jesus and his new covenant grace, life in Christ, life in the way of grace and freedom, separated from the law of Moses. Two different systems, system of law, system of grace. That's what Paul has been doing in Galatians 1 through 4. As we get into the last two chapters in our study, the transition is out of this theological case that Paul has been building, a foundation for grace and freedom, here's what it practically looks like for us as followers of Jesus to be empowered by that grace toward life change, transformation. 
where our hearts are changing and our lives are changing because our hearts are changing. An inside out transformation that is happening. It's more of the solution. It's more of the solution. What life in Christ being led by the spirit of Christ. But the emphasis on the solution in chapters five and six is an empowered, enabling grace so that your life will change and that you will become more and more conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. And so this is what it looks like for grace to work itself out into our actual lives. That's where Paul's going in the next two chapters. As we begin uh, today, we talked about this last week, um, Galatians 5.1, it's, it's a theme verse for our series. It's the thesis of the entire letter. If you want Galatians in one verse, it's Galatians 5.1. Uh, a life verse for me, uh, it would be a wonderful verse for you to memorize. I think it's, it's important. I think it's essential for us. Um, Galatians 5.1. This is what we did last week, and I want to remind you of this. There are three things that I want to show you in Galatians 5.1. Again, thesis of the whole letter. In this one verse, there is a statement, there's an implication of the statement, and then there is an exhortation in the statement. The statement is this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. This is the truth. This is, this is the reality of what Jesus has come to give us, to set captives free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Here's the implication of the statement. Therefore, don't go back and submit again to a yoke of mosaic law, legalism, slavery. Like, it's for freedom. You're free. Therefore, don't go back to law, slavery. And then here's the exhortation. And the reason the exhortation is here, we talked about this last week, is because the way of religion and the way of the world is gonna come against the way of Jesus and his message of grace and freedom. And so we have to be prepared to be persecuted. And so he says, because that is true, last week's message, you have to stand firm, ex exhortation, in your freedom in Christ. Because religion will come against it and the way of the world will come against it. And so with that thesis, therefore, therefore, stand firm. Therefore, don't go back, right? When we see a therefore in the scripture, we always ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, it's there because of everything that he said in Galatians 1 through 4. And it's a transition to everything that he's going to tell us in the last few chapters so that we understand there is a way of Jesus. And when we come under the lordship of Jesus, we follow Jesus and his spirit transforms us from the inside out and we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Paul's call for freedom is the essence of his whole message. It's the essence of the whole message. Um, that's, I missed the slide. That's my fault. And so the essence of the whole message is this, freedom in Christ. And we talked about this last week, freedom from and freedom to. And I missed a slide on this, but let me, let me remind you of this. When we think about freedom in Christ, I want to equip you to think about freedom in two ways, freedom from and freedom to. Freedom from being enslaved to our sin and freedom from the bondage and the curse of the old covenant law. Freedom in Christ liberates us from the bondage of sin and the law, freedom from. And freedom in Christ is to be understood. We haven't just been liberated from something, we've been liberated and freed to something. And here's what we've been freed to. 
the abundant life that is in Christ as we follow him and we submit to his lordship in our lives. We submit to being transformed as we follow Christ and we are led by the spirit of Christ in our lives. Here's how we're free. Being free is the result of the atonement of Christ. We are free because of the atonement of Jesus, because the blood of Jesus, that work, the work of Calvary, and we've been singing about it already this morning. We were held captive to sin and the law. We were, we were in bondage to our own sin. We were in bondage to our inability to follow the law, and the atonement of Christ paid the price for us. We were redeemed. Christ redeemed us by his blood, and then he restored us, reconciled us in relationship with God as free children. Last week, the, we're not children of the slave woman, Hagar. We are children of the free woman, Sarah, all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. We are free children, restored, reconciled relationship with God. Being free is life in the spirit of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom. We're free because the Holy Spirit has empowered us and, and, and the Holy Spirit is in us. And where the Holy Spirit is in us, we are free. Being free is being liberated. Hear this. This is an emphasis point for the morning. Being free in Christ is being liberated to be who God has created us to be and to do what God has purposed us to do. Being free in Christ, yes. Yes, being free in Christ is a result of the atonement of Jesus. Yes, being free in Christ is a restored, re reconciled relationship with God. Yes, being free in Christ is being led by the Spirit of Christ. And also, being free in Christ is understanding more and more who God has created us to be, being empowered to do what God has created us to do. So here's an emphasis point from the text. True freedom is not being turned free to be and to do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. Like if we hear a message of freedom in Christ, we go, oh, I'm free to be whoever I want and do whatever I want. Like I wouldn't call that freedom in Christ. I would call that relativism. I would call that egocentrism. Like if, if we hear a message on freedom in Christ and we take it to mean that we can go live any way we want outside of the Lordship of Christ and outside of the way of Jesus, we have missed the message of freedom in Christ. Are you with me right now? There is a way of Jesus and he is calling us as his disciples to follow in the way of Jesus couple of other verses from Paul on this, because he connects freedom with being a bondservant, with coming under the lordship of Christ. He connects the two, and he'll do it again today in Galatians. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 and 23, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. You were bought with a price. You were redeemed by the atonement of Christ. You are free because of the atonement. You are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Do not become bondservants of the world. Don't, don't, don't become bondservants of your own selfish pride. That's not freedom. That's bondage. 
And Paul's connecting being a bondservant of Jesus, coming under the lordship of Jesus, of being a free person. He says this in Ephesians 6, 6. He says, as bondservants of Christ, do the will of God from where? Do the will of God from our hearts. This is where the transformation happens, right here in our hearts. Freedom is being who God has created us to be, receiving, receiving his grace and freedom, being transformed by that, and then following in the way of Christ. True freedom is at the very heart of the gospel. Again, freedom from the law and sin and freedom to a transformed, abundant life under the lordship of Jesus, being led by the spirit of Christ. And that's what Paul will get into today as we get into our passage. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the, the verses 12, 2 to 12, and then we'll finish today with verses 13 to 15. Again, emphasis of the last two chapters of Galatians is around practical grace theology. It's around how does this change me? How does this transform me in the way of Christ? Verse 2, Galatians 5. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, this is the, the crux issue of the entire book of Galatians, is the Judaizers from Jerusalem came up and said, yes, you need Jesus, but also you have to embrace the old covenant of the law and you have to embrace circumcision. That's like the crux issue of this book. And he says, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law, all 613 old covenant laws. In other words, like, if you're gonna check the box of circumcision, make sure your pen has a lot of ink because you gotta check another 612. I mean, Paul is, I mean, the passion in him for freedom is just, it's remarkable. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, verse five, but by faith we eagerly await through the spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He could have listed any of the 613 old covenant laws. Circumcision is the one example, but what he's talking about is the entire law system. He says it has no value. The only thing, this is this verse, the only thing that counts is faith, faith in God. Faith in the truth that we are justified by faith in Christ, that in Christ you are the righteousness of God, that you have right standing with God. Receive and believe the message of the hope of the gospel. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse seven, you are running a good race. You are, you are out of the gates. You are embracing the true message. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Um, I learned this this week. Um, back in those days when they would have like track and field events, there was like a starting line, but there was a pole at the end of the, of the race. And so when the race started, you would run and you would have to go around the pole and back to be declared the winner. 
So he's using this visual of an actual race going around a pole, and he says, who cut in on you? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like as a basketball coach, when I have my guys, like, we got to run laps, and they start cutting corners. Hey, if you cut corners, you don't, you don't cheat, you cheat yourself and the whole team, right? I mean, there's some coach speak for you. But Paul's using this language like, somebody of the law, like, they cut in on you, and that's the visual. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little law works itself into a whole batch of grace. A little, a little connection to law and circumcision works itself into the entire belief system. A little batch of dough or a little yeast works itself into the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In other words, like I'm being persecuted for faith in Jesus alone, faith alone, grace alone. I'm not preaching circumcision. That's not my message. My message is grace and freedom in Christ alone. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for the agitators here, you guys are ready for this? This is actually in the Bible. As for the agitators, those who are preaching a false message on circumcision was like the, the main thing, which is connected to the whole lot. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. We'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Paul is a passionate freedom fighter. And he's saying, if, if you go ahead with circumcision, here's what you're confessing. Here's what you're agreeing with. You are confessing that the work of Christ the all-sufficient work of the atonement of Jesus on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection. If you go the way of circumcision, checking that box, you are confessing that the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in you is insufficient to be accepted and justified before God, and it is insufficient that the Holy Spirit's work in your life is insufficient to transform your life that really I've got to go check some boxes to actually get transformed. That's what the confession is. Any requirement, any requirement on grace is the same confession. You put any requirement on grace, it's the same confession. You know what? The cross of Jesus and his resurrection and the work of the spirit in my life, it is insufficient to transform my life. So we've got to go back to rules and checking boxes. For Paul, it's either or. You gotta make a choice between one of the two systems. Either go fully, all in, totally abandoned in the way of Jesus and grace and freedom, or, or go all the way in the law. You gotta keep the whole law. If you're gonna do circumcision, you gotta keep all 613. And there's no mixing. It's either or. There's no mixing of new covenant grace and old covenant law. We've been talking about that a lot in this series. Because a little leaven of law leavens the whole up. A little law mixed with grace makes the whole message 
law. And so here's what Paul's saying. If you choose law, you got to keep the whole law. You got to do all of it. If you choose law, you are rejecting the atonement of Christ and the work of the spirit in your life. You are rejecting the system of grace. And if you choose law, you miss, you are, you will miss what really, really counts. And that is faith. So what I want to do, there's a couple of things in this passage that I want to unpack for us that I think are are important for us um, from these verses. One is this, verse four, this this phrase. Um, You have fallen away from grace. So I want to talk about that because um, some people have taken this verse to mean that a person can lose their salvation that they're in grace and they're in salvation, but they have fallen away from grace and fallen away from salvation in Christ. And so the reason why I want to address is because you may read a commentary, something on Google somewhere, uh, that someone might say, oh yeah, this is one of the verses that teaches that a person can lose their salvation. I want to address that for you because that's not what this verse means. That is not what this verse means. And I want to explain that for us. And let me say it this way. And that ain't what any verse means. So there's my position right there for you. The reason, the reason I say that is because it's in this verse. Contextually, Paul isn't speaking about individual categories in, in this passage. He is talking about, or he's not talking about behavior either. He's talking about theology. He's, th- he's talking about two different belief systems. One is the grace system and one is the law system. So contextually, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about individual people. He's talking about the two covenants. And so to take this verse to mean that an individual can lose their salvation is to rip it, literally rip it out of its original context and make it say something that it doesn't say. This is like, this is pastoral speak. This is a little cheesy But if you don't know this little bit, you'll maybe never forget this. Because reading passages and verses in its context is essential, church. You take a text out of the context, and all you're left with is a con. Ba-bam. You guys get that? Courtesy laughs. A little cheesy, I get it, that's fine. It's true, it's actually a true statement. You take a text out of the context and you're left with a con. So we wanna be careful we don't do that. So contextually, it's not about individual behavior, it's about two different systems. Secondly, you don't base a theological belief about something this important. Can a person lose their salvation? You don't base it on one verse. This topic, this conversation requires a deep dive into passages about God's promises of assurance and man's responsibility. How do we understand the sovereignty of God and man's freedom and the responsibility that we carry with God's sovereignty? How does that all work out? We must allow scripture to interpret scripture. So context is king when we come to verses. Also, having scripture interpret scripture is really, really important. So for me, as your pastor, I stand convinced, overwhelmingly convinced 
that the overwhelming teaching of the New Testament clearly teaches that once a person truly, truly believes and receives the work of Jesus, they are sealed in the spirit and their salvation is secure for an eternity. And they cannot, once they truly have faith and they truly believe, they cannot lose their salvation. To believe that a person can lose their salvation because of sin in their life, this is what you're confessing. A sin in a person's life is more powerful than the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And your behavior, your sin, simply isn't that powerful. Grace has the trump card, church. And God's promise to you is when you believe and receive, you are sealed in the spirit. John 10 says, Jesus literally says, all that the Father draws will come and nothing and no one will be snatched out of my hand. Romans 8, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. I mean, I didn't, I didn't put all these verses, but I'm just gonna rapid fire some verses. If you wanna do some biblical theology on this, get your pen ready. This isn't on a slide. You got John 5, you got John 6, you got John 10, you got Romans 8. You got Ephesians 1, you got Ephesians 4, you got 1 John 2, you got 1 John 5, you got, let me catch my breath, you got Hebrews 7, you got Hebrews 13, you got Jude 1, you got so many places to go. If you want all those chapters later, come tell me, I'll text them to you. Now, with that said, with that said, let me also say this. There are, there are some verses that awaken us to consider do we really believe what we say we believe? There are some verses in the scripture that make us go, whew. Do I truly believe what I am saying I believe? I think Galatians 5 is, is one of them. I think our verse from today is one of them. I think the, the one that like causes anyone to kind of consider their own belief is from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter seven. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, we drove out demons and we performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you depart from me. That'll stop a person in their tracks and cause them to consider. And I think that's the whole reason why Jesus said it. Hear me say this. There is no place in the scripture that offers a quote unquote sinner's prayer. Saying a sinner's prayer doesn't save anyone. Here's what saves people. The blood and the resurrection of Jesus and people having faith in the blood and the resurrection of Jesus. Faith, faith, faith. And I think, I think we should consider. With that said, I'm overwhelmingly convinced that once a person truly believes in Jesus, they are sealed in the spirit. Nothing will snatch them out of the hand of Christ. But pastorally speaking, we can say whatever we want. But true faith in Jesus alone is what brings salvation. Like I've said this a few times over the years, like sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car. 
Sitting in a Chick-fil-A doesn't make you a chicken sandwich. Sitting in a church service doesn't make a person a Christian. It just means we're all sitting in here together. What saves a person is faith in Christ. Amen? And so we would be wise to consider Galatians 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. Also, hear me say this, pastorally speaking, I am fully persuaded that any person who is wondering if he or she has lost their salvation, they have not. They cannot. Because your heart is broken by your own sin. You're in a place of repentance. Just receive a fresh anointing of the gospel and let's be transformed together. This fallen away from grace phrase, let's think about this. Is Paul talking about individual behavior or theological truth between two systems? Contextually, he's talking about a theological system and someone saying fallen from grace doesn't necessarily mean they were in grace. It's just like in the choice, I have chosen to not go in the way of grace in the way of Christ. I have chosen to go the way of law. And that's what Paul is saying. You have fallen away from grace. Falling away from grace simply means this. A person has rejected Jesus and they have committed themselves to the law system. Hear me say this, pastorally speaking, People in Christ, believers, people who are sealed in the spirit, people that Jesus said, I'll, I'll never, um, Hebrews 7, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. John 10, nothing will ever snatch them out of my hand, okay? Hear me say this, people who are in Christ, you, will, you cannot fall away from grace. Do you know what you do? You fall into grace and you get healed and you get renewed in the gospel. Y'all with me? Are we awake? It's a little warm in here, I know that. But I'm up here preaching freedom over you. When we stumble and fall, we don't fall out of grace. You fall into it. And that's why James says, when we sin, go and confess with your brothers and sisters and they will pray for you and you will experience, you know what it says? You know the promise? You'll experience what? Healing because they're gonna tell you what's true of the gospel. Believers don't fall out of grace. They fall into grace. Let's go. Here's the second thing from this verse. I was thinking about our friends in Jamaica because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm sweating up here right now. It's hot. I was thinking about our friends in Jamaica and they're like open air, like hot service. And I'm like, you know what? We can do this. We can do this. Let's sit in a hot gym, fellowship and worship together. We're gritty. Here's what he says. The only thing that counts, Paul, I mean, I, we don't have to overcomplicate it, you guys. Like the only thing that counts, I mean, how much more clear could the word of God be? How much more clear, can, the only thing that counts. I don't know, I don't know, I'm so confused. I should do it. The only thing that counts is your faith, your faith. Faith in what? Faith in that you are justified by faith alone, Jesus alone, grace alone. The only thing that counts is that faith, your faith, and then you expressing that in love to God and people. That's it. Guess what? There are three things in this world that, that matter because there's only three things that last eternally. You know what they are? The word of God that is living and active. God himself and you. The only thing that counts 
is faith expressing itself through love. Faith, I am the beloved of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am saved and secure. Faith, I am justified before God. I am healed and restored and redeemed. Faith, faith, I am the beloved of God expressing itself through love in response. Responsive love to God and responsive love to other people. That's the only thing that counts. And that's where Paul goes next. He's going to really begin to help us understand what it looks like to have a responsive faith. We'll end here for today. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Yes, you are free in Christ. Freedom from, freedom to. You were called to be free. Here's the practical theology. Here's what grace does. Here's the enabling and the empowerment of grace. Here it is. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, your prideful, selfish flesh. You haven't been set free to indulge your prideful, sinful flesh. That's not what freedom, that's not what Paul's saying. He says the entire law, he's speaking about the old covenant law, is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Strong words, helpful words, wise words for us to consider. A couple of quotes from pastors, authors that I love to read. Danny Silk, he says, freedom is not the license to do whatever we want. Freedom is the choice to receive love and to love. I love that. Freedom is the choice to receive love and to love. Thus, as soon as we use our freedom to violate love, we lose our freedom and we invite bondage back into our lives. John Stott, pastor, author, scholar, he's now with the Lord, says, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self, my silly little self that wants to make my life all about me. All about what I want, when I want, how I want. Like it frees me from self, from the self-indulgence of my own flesh. Freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly and love for God and love for others. Isn't that good? Pride says, pride says, indulging the flesh says, freedom is doing whatever I want whenever I want it. But true freedom is coming under the lordship of Christ and, the, and, the, and to walk by the power of his spirit. Pride says that freedom is my personal independence. But true freedom is interdependence upon Christ and his spirit and the fellowship of the believers. Pride says freedom is my right to do it all alone. But true freedom is an empowerment to love and serve and give of myself to others. That's real freedom. That's why Jesus said, you are more blessed to give than you are to receive. Paul contends that a life of freedom is not a life where we indulge our prideful flesh. And though believers are free, 
That freedom is not to become a platform for living recklessly and selfishly. To live in the flesh, to indulge the flesh, is fundamentally living outside of the realm of coming under the lordship of Christ and the way of the Spirit leading us forward. So here's, here's what I believe a revelation of grace does, it's like a revelation of grace and freedom. What it does is it changes the way we think theologically. And when we change the way we think, it changes the way we live. Right, we did a sermon on this. Right believing leads to, empowers us to, right, godly, the way of Jesus, living. Here's what Christian freedom does too. It removes the burden of legalism and it empowers us not to sin. That's what it does. It empowers us to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors. We're not enslaved to our sin nature anymore. Is it, is it possible for new covenant believers to sin? Sure, we're all in a process of releasing ourselves from our flesh and following in the way of Jesus. Here's what John tells us in 1 John 2. I tell you these things so that you would not sin. Like the truth of the matter is, grace empowers us to overcome. But then he says, but if you do sin, he's speaking to the church, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus the Christ, hallelujah. And the promise of Jesus is, I have taken your sin and I have removed it as far as the east is from the west and I remember it no more. You are free. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. True freedom enjoys the blessing of being loved and loving others. This is abundant life. And Paul's saying, look, biting and devouring each other is what happens. Hear this, biting and devouring each other. That's what happens when you put the law on each other. You want to like create all kind of like chaos, put the law on each other. And then what that, that creates is a lot of fear in people. And if you want to see the worst of people, get them afraid. And then you can control them when you get them afraid. That's what the law does. Putting the law on each other invites biting and devouring. And he's calling them to freedom. May this never be true of us. This idea of biting and devouring each other and putting the law on each other. I want to close with this statement around um, this passage. You've heard the saying or you've seen the signs before. And the sign is, simply says, love God, tell me, love God, love others, right? You've seen those signs, we've heard that proclaimed. It's a, what, what, it's a wonderful statement. Love God, love others. It's a wonderful statement, but if it misses the empowerment of grace, hear this, it can easily, can easily be a statement that's moved to requirement. So here's what I wanna invite you to. I wanna think about that statement in a different way by adding something really important to that statement this morning. Because here's what that statement misses or doesn't say. It misses the empowerment of grace. Be loved of God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So believe and receive that you are loved of God. You are the beloved of God. And now that empowers us as a response now to love God as a response and love people as a response, not as a requirement, because any requirement, a little leaven 
Leaven's a whole lump. So first and foremost, it's receive. Be loved of God. Love God, love others. You guys with me? Loving God, loving others is the response. If we miss the empowerment, we make loving God and loving others a requirement. And do you know the difference between requirement or response? The difference between requirement or response is legalism or freedom. So here's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to believe in a fresh way today that you are the beloved of God and that true freedom now empowers you as a response to love God, worship God, serve God, love people, serve people, help people. You're free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in flesh. Instead, love and serve. Amen? Like, I'm all in with this. Let's do this because this is the transforming work of Jesus in our lives. I've said this for many years since we started the church. Um, If you're new this morning, uh, Lindsay and I, we moved here in 2000. Worship team, you guys can come back up. In 2011, it'll be 10 years this October, and then we started gathering people in our living room in the fall of 2012. And if you've been around church for a long time, you've you've heard these statements before, right? And every statement goes with our three core values. And I want to connect this to be loved of God, be loved of God, love God as a response, love people as a response to our three core values. Our core values here, grace-centered, family-oriented, mission-minded. Be loved of God, love God, love others. Freed people, people free in Christ. You know what they're passionate about? They're passionate to go back and help people get free in Christ that are under the yoke of legalism and slavery. Like, that drives my passion. I lived in a heavy yoke of legalism for many years. And I have such a passion to help people get free. I'm so thankful that God helped me get free. Free people go free people. Love people, they love people. Bless people, bless people of God. They don't bite and devour, they bless. Amen? They bless, they bless, they love, they care. They serve. Let's be those people. Lord, thank you for your word. We we consider your word, Lord, and I pray that we're doing more than considering it. I pray we're being transformed by it, that it's truly changing us from the inside out. So, Lord, as we worship, I pray that faith is in our minds. We are the beloved of God. We're the righteousness of God. We're the beloved of God. And we can only give as we receive. So I pray that your church would receive more, more of your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.